This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable-ish, episode 155. We really are cracking on through them now, aren't we? Thank you, as ever. I say it every time. I really do mean it. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening. I hope you're enjoying things. If you are, then please do leave a little rating and a review that you type with your hands. That would be amazing wherever you get your podcasts, because it really does, so I'm told, help other people to find the podcast and spread the word. So, on to today's episode. Ever wondered, what's the best climate charity to donate to? Or, how do I know that my money's actually being used for good stuff and not swallowed up in admin? What sorts of things might charities be funding, or should charities be funding, when it comes to helping the climate crisis? I know that when I think about donating to a climate charity, whether that's a personal donation or if I'm thinking about running some kind of fundraiser, I find it really hard to know which charity I should donate to. Organisations like Greenpeace, World Wildlife Fund, Friends of the Earth, those feel like the obvious ones that spring to mind. But other than that, I'm a bit stumped. How about you? Hopefully, I'm not the only one, and actually, apparently I'm not the only one, because according to today's podcast chat, only 2% of philanthropy, so charitable donations, is currently going to climate mitigation. And it turns out that there are some amazing organisations doing brilliant stuff to to help to fight the climate crisis. And in this episode, I am chatting to Ollie Tapper, who is the Development Manager at the Global Returns Project, which is a UK-based climate change charity. The Global Returns Project have done the research, they've done the due diligence, they've done the spreadsheets, I would imagine, and identified what they feel to be six of the most impactful charities and not-for-profits that are working on climate solutions and created what they call the Global Returns Portfolio. The charities in the portfolio, and I've listed them, we talk about the, um, Ollie lists them in the podcast and I've listed them in the show notes if people want to come and have a look for them. Some of them might surprise you. And it was really fascinating to hear about these six brilliant projects that several of them we might not automatically think of as being a really key part in working to solve the climate crisis, like Client Earth, who are a team of lawyers who are working to ensure that environmental laws are actually stuck to and have recently, I think, taken the government to, um, to court. Uh, Things like the Whale and Dolphin Conservation Society. This one would just absolutely would never have occurred to me, but Ollie explains all in the podcast about why they're actually a really uh, key player in, you know, helping to mitigate or to stave off the worst of the climate crisis. So this is an absolutely fascinating one. I really enjoyed listening to it. I feel like I learned a lot. I really hope that you enjoy listening to it and learn a lot too. And, um, you know, we're at pains to say during the episode, this isn't in any way meant as a way of guilting people into donating at a time when lots and lots of people are really struggling with the cost of living. This is more to open up a conversation, to have a discussion for anyone who is thinking about, um, who may be in a fortunate position to have a little bit of cash that they're able to donate and wondering where's the best uh, place to put it when it comes to climate solutions. And also if there's you know, if you've got kids or a school or a um, workplace that are looking to do some kind of fundraising effort and wanting to do a sustainability focus, then 
I think this episode will give you some great ideas of beneficiaries for that fundraising. So as I said, I really hope you enjoy this one and I will catch you next time. Take care. Hello, Ollie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Can you kick us off by introducing uh, yourself and what you do? Hi, well, well, I'm Ollie. Um, As Jen's just said, I I work at the Global Returns Project, which is a UK-based climate change charity uh, that was set up a couple of years ago. Uh, And my role really is the the development manager there. Uh, I help us to choose the most effective climate change charities that we support as an organisation and we help individuals give to. Um, and, And I also help us reaching out to to financial institutions because what we're really trying to do as an organization is make a change in the financial services community to make giving and contributing to effective climate change charities just a normal part of of everyday life a normal part of financial planning Mm. well I really I I really want to dive into that with you and, and obviously everything that Global Returns Project do and talking about sort of charitable giving and how we vet charities if you like or how we can work out like how to um get the most uh, value out of any donations that we make but what's your sort of personal story have you always been I don't know um eco anxious or eco aware or was this a a new thing for you when you took the role so so I I actually studied uh geography at university I've I've always been interested in sort of I guess when I started the kind of human side of what makes people tick what makes societies tick uh, and then towards the end of my school life and then into university, I became much more interest, interested in climate change because you realise all of those kind of social and all of those interesting questions about what it means to be human are, are amplified and, and become even more interesting when you throw the climate crisis into the mix. And so I was really interested in a, a whole heap of questions from both how do we sort of tackle this issue on a macro scale? What are the, the cool solutions that people have got? But also as individuals, what is it that we can do and, and what's what's our agency in helping to, to I, I guess, tackle something with the, the enormity of climate change? So when I was at university, I, I spent a lot of time considering kind of the, the climate crisis from different perspectives, became very interested in indigenous knowledges and, and the different ways that people sort of interact with the world around them. And obviously in the West, that's very different to um, sort of a, an indigenous community might might respond to to um, threats such as climate change, uh, and so when I left university, I was I was really interested in pursuing a career in climate. So I was very fortunate that I was able to to start working at the Global Returns Project and and seeing seeing things from from this perspective in it in a professional background is is really great and really fulfilling. Yeah, amazing. Now I I. I don't know if they've changed the way geography was taught, but like I remember just being not engaged in any way, shape or form when I was uh, in geography when I was at school. And I only did it, I think, up to year nine. But it feels like it's really changed and it's much more like climate is a part of that and climate change. And as you say, all those um, sort of social and human interactions and all those sorts of things. When you came out of university, I mean, this is a complete side tangent to what we were what we we're going to be talking about, but I'm just intrigued. And I think maybe lots of people listening will like how easy or otherwise is it to find a, a you know, a paid job in sustainability for young people? So, I, I mean, I think finding a job at the moment is very difficult. Yeah. So I, I, I would like to preface what I say by saying actually find, finding a job is very difficult. And I wouldn't want to say, say otherwise. And I spent a long time looking for one. Um, what I would say on the flip side to that is that. Um, increasingly there are a huge number of roles in sustainability that are available to to young people mostly because the corporate world the financial services world are, are, are waking up to the fact that the climate change is a, is a huge issue and one that's not going to go away and one that's going to materially affect their business so whereas some sort of multinationals have gone from having a sustainability department of maybe even two or three people um a decade ago now those are central parts of the businesses so there are an increasing number of roles that are becoming available and and obviously in the charity space and not-for-profit space there's a there's a huge demand now for for sort of climate change initiatives and and obviously there are a number of roles that that come with that so I'm 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 hopeful that there are there are many more roles available now having come out of university than there than there may have been a few years ago. Brilliant thank you. 
if anyone can hear some funny background noises it's the dog just I think she's licking something unmentionable at the moment, some unmentionable part of her anatomy. Um, but if you can hear scratching around, that's that's the dog. Um, so Global Returns Project, um, tell us about that. Well, so I, I joined the Global Returns Project actually um, when we were launching the initiative in, in October 2020. And it was set up by Jasper Judd and Jan Swiderski, uh, who both sort of had a background in financial services and the corporate world. Um, and actually, the, the, the way it started was that Jan gave up his job as a, an investment manager to, to run an organic farm. And he started sending around some newsletters about the climate crisis, which he'd become increasingly concerned about. And, and one day, sort of, I, I don't know how many newsletters in, but, but Jasper responded and said, this is all extremely terrifying. What are you going to do about it? Um, and so as a pair they sort of started mapping out well, what, what, are, what are the things that can be done to, to tackle the climate crisis and we knew that governments are obviously extremely important but they're moving way too slowly at the moment then they looked at markets and, and obviously a lot's being done in that area as well but we also know there are a whole lot of issues where it's to do with greenwashing or, or simply that there are some places the markets can't reach and then they identified that actually there are a whole heap of not-for-profits that are out there that are ready to be implemented, they're scalable, they're highly effective, and yet they don't seem to get the same amount of coverage as, as those other two, I guess, big players in the, in the climate scenario. So what they became interested in was, well, we know that there are a whole range of individuals and there are so many around the world that are increasingly alarmed about what's going on and they want to do stuff, but but often people aren't, aren't aware of what what the best things they can do are and obviously that's uh, all of your work Jen is, is, is great on, on alerting to people to that but but really where they got to was well we've got these not-for-profits and we know that only two percent of philanthropy at the moment is going to climate mitigation causes so how can we how can we increase that figure how can we give people an answer to the question well, what can I do with my money as part of the climate crisis and obviously there's, there's a whole range of things you can do with your investments but in terms of philanthropic pounds, what, what can you do? And so when, when they started, they, they, they thought, well, what are the behavioural elements that are stopping people from perhaps uh, giving money? Well, there, there, there are sort of two, two main ones, just behaviourally. One of them is that it's not an easy thing to do. Uh, working out what the most effective climate change charities are is really time-consuming and is is really difficult. There are so many of them out there. You can get sort of paralysed by the amount of, of institutions out there, and also by the choice you've got. Uh, and then the second one is the fact that it needs to be a normal thing to do. And so a lot of our work is is trying to help financial planner, planning firms, investment managers, and and the broader community make this a standard part of, of a financial planning strategy that an individual can do no matter how much money they have. And so what we did as an organisation is we, we did the research into what the most effective climate change charities are, and we boiled that down into a, a small portfolio, which is currently six, uh, which we call the Global Returns Portfolio. Uh, and we give individuals the option to uh, contribute to that portfolio on, on a yearly basis in line with the amount of wealth they have. So it's a, a percentage of their wealth, which is a quarter of a percent of their wealth. And um, we say that if, if everyone did that, it, it can make a huge difference. And, and the, the kind of the headline stat really on that, which which is quite a staggering one, but there's one hundred and fifty trillion dollars of private wealth globally. And if three percent of people gave a quarter of a percent of their their wealth each year, then we could be raising ten billion dollars for climate mitigation efforts, which is which is a, a, a staggering number. Um, wow, yeah. but one, one that really makes you think, actually, there's a huge power in the collective kind of um, roots of individuals. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you're quite right. We've talked in the past, we've had an episode with Make My Money Matter about, you know, the power of our pensions and divesting our pensions or encouraging pension companies to divest. And we've also got an episode, I think there's an episode way back uh, with Triodos Bank. And we've also got one with one of the founders of Make My Money, um, not Make My Money Matter, Good Money, um, Good With Money, who are a great um, organisation around sort of uh, responsible investing and things like that. But it never really occurred to me this, that thing around charitable giving, I guess, and and the power of that. And you're exactly right that I'll often think, oh, I would love to donate or say my sons are like 
I mean, they're not because they're not massively engaged, but say they said, I want to raise money for a, you know, a climate charity, I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't really know. I, I guess I'd think of World Wildlife Fund, I'd maybe think of Friends of the Earth, I might think of, um, uh, you know, Surfers Against Sewage, I think if we were talking about something plastic related, but I wouldn't really know where else to look and and actually where would make the best use of my money because that's the other thing isn't it whenever we make a charitable donation we don't want you know the, the concern is it's just being especially with maybe bigger organizations is it just being swallowed up in staff wages and red tape and bureaucracy or rather than actually sort of making some difference on the ground so how did you come up with these six organizations what were your criteria um, absolutely a great question um the, the the first thing i guess we we wanted to do when we were selecting these organizations was recognize that the the climate crisis is a really multifaceted issue that needs to be tackled from a range of different angles so we were really keen that we didn't just choose rainforest protection organizations or um energy access organizations we really wanted to make sure that it was it was kind of a diverse range of, of not-for-profit interventions. So we identified a series of different intervention areas that we could we could tackle and then um, added organisations from those. In terms of how the, the selection itself works, we've got quite a kind of rigorous due diligence, I, I guess, funnel. Uh, and that that is aimed at sort of tackling that issue that you mentioned there of not knowing whether the money's going to the right place, making sure that the these charities have got good um, initial size, but also governance um, and, and making sure that their their board meets regularly. All, all of those sort of nitty gritty, kind of boring questions that <laughs> take up a lot of time, but are really really important. And and then after that, what we do is we we've got a methodology that scores organisations within our within our portfolio, and and there are four I guess broad categories that we use in that that scoring process, which are weighted differently. Uh, the, the highest weighted factor is impact, which I, I'm sure you're not um, sort of I'm sure it's not a shock to hear. Yeah, no, it's good to hear. It's good to hear. It's what we want, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Absolutely. But I guess what the, the lens that we're really trying to get to on that is where possible, is there a way of us measuring the, the, the tons of CO2 equivalent abated or sequestered per pound spent? Now, obviously, that's a really, really difficult task, but it's a task that we're really interested in because... I mean, that's that's kind of the ideal scenario we'd get to. And, and you can do some really interesting calculations about so organisations that may be um, tackling the climate crisis through uh, litigation or through supply chains, that kind of thing, and, and come up with a, a figure that, that then you can compare, I guess, across the board with the caveat that there's obviously a lot of factors that go into it. But, but in, in that sort of impact area, what we like to do is we like to separate the organizations into two broad areas you've got solutions so these are the the not-for-profits that are having a direct impact on the ground now and that they're usually sort of carbon sink based Mm -hmm. then on the other side you've got um, accelerators and these are slightly harder to measure organizations that are helping sort of solutions work so a good example of that um, might be client earth i've already mentioned who use the power of law to uh, affect climate litigation rules across the, across the world. So they recently sued the UK government. Uh, they also helped to shut down coal, coal power plants. And they do a whole range of things that aren't sort of directly linked to tangible emissions reductions, but obviously have a huge impact. I think that would never have occurred to me to, like I'm aware of them and what they're doing, but to have them, I guess, earmarked as like a climate charity, exactly as you, you know, I, I mentioned World Wildlife Fund and Friends of the Earth and things, but yes, lots of tree planting charities, um, rainforest protection, all those sorts of things. But something like that feels a little bit like outside the box. And, and it's absolutely not once you start to dig into it and think about it. But it's fascinating because I presumably I'm not alone in not having made that kind of connection. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's some great resources out there that obviously, I again, I, when I started, I was unaware of so many of these amazing mm. charities. But I guess a, a really interesting organisation to check out if you're interested in kind of the way that, and it, this isn't linked to not-for-profits per se, but just the way that I guess this space works. And, and you'll almost certainly know them, Jen, but Project Drawdown do some great mm. stuff. Um, and they're actually the ones who 
who I guess separated solutions and accelerators originally. And it, it makes so much sense when you hear it for the first time. Can you just, for people who haven't come across Project Jordan before, just explain a little bit about what they do? So, so Project Jordan are a US, US-based organisation who set about to, to provide a, a set or a sort of framework of all of the possible solutions that are available to us as a, as a species to, to tackle climate change. Uh, and it's incredibly detailed. They've got uh, kind of estimates for how, how many tonnes of CO2 could be reduced or abated through uh, each of the solutions. And they divide it down in these uh, very neat and, and nice looking bubbles that are available. And, and, and that framework is available to download as a PDF online. So if you're if you're interested, I, I would mm. recommend it. And they've, they've ranked the top 100, I think, haven't they? Um, they have. And again, there's stuff on there that I think, I mean, it isn't the number one. I don't know if it still is, but certainly when I um, sort of first heard about it was something like reducing refrigerant gases, which I hadn't even occurred to me. But also really high up there is education for women and girls, which again is maybe a link that we might not ordinarily have made. Um, so it is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? And And I guess the fact that someone's gone out there I mean I, my mind just starts to crumble at the thought of the amount of work and number crunching and stuff that they must have had to do for that but that must have you say that that really helped to inform the decisions that you guys were making no absolutely it's amazing what they've done but I, I guess their their outlook and, and ours ours as well is very much as, as far as we can be sort of quantitative and evidence-based in what we're doing the the better because otherwise it's quite easy when you're looking at charities to to see ones that are traditionally really appealing and, and ones that you associate with climate change and not open yourself up to a, a world of possibilities and, and a range of charities you wouldn't have considered. And yeah. I guess one example of that is uh, whale and dolphin conservation. And there's some really interesting studies that we only came across sort of um, after we launched, which linked whales to climate change, as in whales could really, really help us reduce atmospheric CO2 levels. And this is really nascent science that is, is just coming out now so how how does that work how does a whale help reduce carbon dioxide levels i mean that sounds lovely but are they like you know when they do the big blowhole thing what's is it that like what? it's really really interesting and it's linked to whale poo actually that, that is that is how how it the, all comes back to poo it does indeed <laughs> always does so I, there, there are two main ways. The, the, the smaller way is that when whales die, they've got they, their bodies are huge, sort of masses of carbon that sink to the ocean floor and, and store it away. So whales, because is this because you know they're eating all the plankton and and that they're sort of part of the carbon cycle? And is it just because they're such big animals that they're a big carbon store? Well, so that's 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 just the smaller part, but the larger part is when when whales. What exists when they're sort of cycling through the ocean when they when they um, defecate they stimulate phytoplankton which are the largest co2 um, absorbers in the world and there's a whole raft of research out there which shows phytoplankton productivity increases by up to one percent in areas where whales are active and so when you extrapolate the numbers out and, and this is a, a report that's been done by uh, imf world bank um, by some some actually was was launched by some economists using scientific research uh, they found that on average a whale could be responsible a great whale rather could be responsible for sequestering up to 250 tons of co2 every year wow so so if we put that into context the average you know let's just pick an average number because there's so many different ones but the average uk individual's carbon footprint let's just say is 10 tons so one whale is that's 25 people's worth of carbon per year absolutely absolutely and, and that's how does that, that compare to a tree do you know um i, I wouldn't be able to do it off the top of my head no. but <laughs> annoyingly, tree, trees more, are, more than a tree more than yeah, lots of trees it's, it's more than a tree and i actually think in that report they've got a, a, a kind of comparator to a tree so if you're interested it's oh, okay i'm gonna have a look but, but yeah, it's, it's it's remarkable. But that's just one example of where it's a climate solution that actually no one knew was a climate solution no. a while ago. And, and there's amazing things that are occurring in nature all the time that we're starting to understand. And so what we're trying to do is keep up with all that stuff, make sure that we're doing all the work to, to understand what's going on in the, the climate world. What are the not-for-profits that are helping with that whale and dolphin conservation doing amazing work to 
protect and restore whale rail populations around the world. So, so, so they're yeah, they're, they're just one example of that. So you mentioned there were four parts of what you look at with an organisation. You said impact was the biggest, and then what were the others? So the others, are in, in sort of order of magnitude, scalability is our second one, which is really really important to us because. As an organisation, we're looking to raise increasing amounts of these not-for-profits. And the more people we get on board, the 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 bigger, I guess, the the pot available to these these. So there's no point them having loads of donations come in if they're not in a situation where they can actually then take that money and and ramp up and do something useful with it. Exactly. So their operating model has to be scalable. They've got to be ambitious. They've got to be able to cope with a sudden influx of funding. Mm. We've got to make sure that. You know the, the the marginal benefit of their activity grows as the amount we're raising for them grows. So it's there's all of these ideas that you know actually in many ways are import, as important as as impact because you can have a highly impactful charity that that's dealing with you know hundreds of pounds a month or the, you know obviously it's a thousand of pounds a month versus you know one day we might be raising huge amounts more than mm. that if they can't cope with it then there's there's, there's not much point and then. The other, the other two, one of them is networks. We want to make sure that we're supporting well-networked organisations, both in terms of, you know, that their relationships with other NGOs, governments, foundations, so that they can, I guess, amplify their, their impact. We know a lot of the great work that goes on in this sector is because of collaboration. So we want, we want to support well-networked organisations, but actually um, networked in another way as well. We know actually from Project Drawdown work that they're working really closely with indigenous communities when it comes to things like tree planting and rainforest protection is hugely, hugely more effective than, than working in silos. So we want to mm. make sure those organisations that are working on the ground are well networked with local communities so that we have just climate solutions um, that are equitable and, and, and fair for everyone. So that, that's the third one. And the, the final one is co-benefits. And we, we're aware that and then going back to the point about sort of climate change being a hugely social issue, we know that climate solutions don't work just on their own. And actually, a lot of the work that these not-for-profits or the most effective not-for-profits are doing are also providing uh, gender equality. They're helping to eliminate poverty, helping to provide clean water and sanitation. And we want to make sure that, that those co-benefits, although not the main aim of what we're doing, that they're captured in, in the work of, of the not-for-profits. Amazing. So you've already mentioned a couple of the charities that you work with, but there's there's six in the portfolio. So testing you now and hoping you've got something written down in front of you. So you <laughs> can you go through each of those briefly for us and and um, I guess a little bit about like why you picked them and the impact that they have. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have anything written down. <laughs> oh gosh, you probably <laughs> you'll be, you'll be glad to know that I do, I do actually remember all of them. Obviously. Oh, well done. Work with them a lot. So. So the, the, I'll go in alphabetical order. Uh, Ashton are our first one. Um, they they run a really well-known uh, award scheme that helps to scale up and amplify the most effective sort of energy access and, and um, cl- climate-related solutions in the energy world, uh, particularly in the global south. Uh, so they, they might sort of fund organisations that are, are providing um, solar solar panels to to their local community that are provided that they're, they're running sort of re- refrigeration on a, on a sustainable level through sort of solar solar powered um, freezers. Uh, there are a whole heap of um, award winners that you can see on their website each year who benefit from Ashton's funding, but also Ashton's community. Because what what Ashton will do when they help fund a, a winner is that they'll introduce them to other organisations to to other um, governments. Uh, and, and help really scale, scale up their, their operations. So when I'm talking about networks earlier, Ashton are a really, really mm. well organisation. The second one is Client Earth, who are one of the more well-known organisations in the portfolio. They recently sued the UK government on their um, net zero strategy. And as a result, the, the government's having to provide a, 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 essentially a more well-thought-out a strategy going forward that really highlights how they're going to get certain targets at certain times. It's it's, it's often a bit harder to sort of delineate impact with. Mm. Like yeah, how do you people. how do you count that? I mean, it's hard enough sometimes measuring 
climate action I think you know for us as individuals to think well what how much has that action saved me in carbon but to to a law case like I don't know how you presumably generates a fair amount of carbon and paper and all that sort of thing as well so trying to find that balance yeah well absolutely I I, I guess it comes down to scale of it really and, mm. and attribution is hard when you're trying to work out why certain things happen but we we looked at one of their their um cases in in Poland where they helped to shut down a, a coal power plant that was going to be that was going to be built and when you look at the figures for how many emissions that the, these coal power plants generate on a yearly basis, we're not talking millions tons of, of CO2 equivalent. So even if they were to prevent one year of, of yeah. even if that had only run for one year, which we know it probably would have been a huge amount more than that, you're already talking about huge figures of, of CO2. So, so even if you can't get to an exact number with them, you know that the scale you're talking about is really impressive and, and really, really important to, to help fund. So, so that, I mean, that, that, that's client earth and they're doing a whole range of uh, amazing things that often, often uh, pop up in the news. And then the third organization is Global Canopy. Um, and they help to illuminate deforestation risk in the supply chains of some of the largest companies and financial institutions around the world. Uh, and they do that by these really cool and again, publicly available data tools that they have online where they map sort of how how soy and, and other commodities are, are taken out of the ground and then taken uh, throughout the supply chain to financial institutions and, and, and corporations where the links are, the links that we would completely otherwise miss. So f- would that be, I mean, a, you know, an organisation, for example, and I'm just going to pick Nestle because I know that, you know, they have a lot of stuff going on. So if an organisation is um, as part of its supply chain for it's producing burgers or something, it's contributing to deforestation for soy to grow the, the soy to feed the cows, to make the burgers. Like they're highlighting that kind of thing. Exactly. And they're, they're, they're giving sort of tangible answers to the question of what, wow. what are the, the risks and what's the number we can put on it, which is really important because it holds companies to account. And, and I mean, apart from anything else, what we found and what I've found in, in my conversations with Global Canopy is that often these, these corporations, they're, they're not, some of them aren't evil. They, 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 they simply just don't know it because it's really hard to, to know these kind of things. So um, there are obviously those corporations who, who need to be called out and held accountable because they know what they're doing is wrong. But also the really helpful thing about what Global Canopy are doing is that they're shining a light for corporations who don't know want to know and then want to do something about right, it right yeah so so that they're really fantastic again very hard to measure exactly i guess in an, in an offsetting world which yes yeah is problematic what what they do but that's i guess part of the reason you you've got to fund these organizations they're doing really important work but it's it's just slightly hard to, to yes. measure what they're doing and then the the final three I've I've talked a bit about whale and dolphin conservation already, but we've got one rainforest protection organisation, which is Rainforest Trust UK, um, who have protected I think over thirty eight million hectares of um, rainforest to date, which is incredible. Because we talk we we hear a lot about planting trees, don't we? But actually, way more effective than planting trees is is conserving the existing carbon sinks the existing rainforest because if we plant a tree today it's going to take 25 30 years before it is you know really doing its thing sucking down carbon but also there's all the whole ecosystem that comes with it and all those sorts of things so actually as much as tree planting is great we we still need to be really resourcing charities like this that are working to preserve rainforests as well no absolutely i completely agree i think it's it's a bit of a balancing act. I, tree planting is a really effective long-term strategy in comparison with some of the other long-term strategies we, we have at the moment, because we know that sort of carbon, carbon removal technologies that are sort of man-made are a bit risky. We don't really know exactly how effective they will be and they're really expensive. So tree planting is, is a, a great thing to do if you do it as part of another strategy, yeah. part of a portfolio, but on its own, I agreed if we put all of our eggs into that one basket then we'd obviously have to be waiting quite a while for it yes really have an impact and we don't have that time so so we support Rainforest Trust UK and the great thing about them is they've got a, an anonymous funder who's doubling donations so they're twice as cost effective as they make oh, wow. yeah. 
And then the final organization we have is a, is a tree planting organization, Trillion Trees. But what, what's what's really great about what they're doing, uh, and you mentioned the ecosystem point about planting trees, we know that there's been a whole raft of controversies and issues with tree planting because people aren't planting the right trees in the mm. right places, getting monocultures, paper parks, um, and that there's just a whole range of really, really bad tree planting schemes. Yeah. But um, Trillion Trees are a partnership of three of the largest conservation organisations in the world, WWF, BirdLife International, and the Wildlife Conservation Society. And what they've done is they've chosen places where they've got an established presence. They've got really deep connections with the, the local uh, community there. Um, so that, and, and they make sure they've got a really, really solid understanding of the ecology of an area before they start uh, planting trees and they do it in a very sort of sustainable community driven way uh, and their motto is planting the right trees in the right places which is great um, mm. because you know gives us and obviously all of our, our donors peace of mind that albeit there might, might be a slight delay before you see those sort of sequestration values but you know in the long term there's gonna be a really really low mortality rate for those those trees and a really low percentage chance of yeah. burning down that kind of thing which obviously we've seen unfortunately with a lot of offsets uh, yes in, those, in that kind of world yeah I'm sensing an amazing uh, podcast series with each of these uh, charities coming in to discuss in more detail what they do because they all sound absolutely phenomenal so people can come to the global returns website and literally just make a a one-off donation to you guys and it gets split six ways is that right Absolutely, yeah. So, so we've uh, got our website www.globalreturnsproject.earth, and in in the the, the top of the screen, you'll, you should see a button which says "Contribute Now." Uh, you can click that button, uh, and it will take you through to our sort of donation page, where you can you can donate. I, I guess whatever amount you you feel comfortable with. As as a guide, we we like to say a quarter of a percent of of wealth, but also we recognise that. That's 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 not for anyone. Mm. I like to do less than that. I like to do more. But we the reason we chose that was really that stat I gave at the beginning because it, it's kind of a nice um, grounding figure to yeah. show. It doesn't have to be that much that you give for it to make a really really big difference. Yeah, and I I really want to sort of I guess emphasize the point that and and we had a sort of pre chat before this interview and and I was saying look I I actually feel a little bit uncomfortable at the moment encouraging people to give to charity when there's a cost of living crisis going on, which kind of feels feels wrong to be not wanting to encourage people to give to charity. But do you know what? Like, I'm really super aware that so many people are potentially um, either really struggling already at the moment or, uh, you know, really genuinely feeling anxious about how they're going to cope over the winter. So please know that, you know, there is absolutely zero guilt attached if you can't make a donation do you know I, I just kind of want to make that really clear to people but also I guess this idea that if there are those of us who you know have got um any disposable income that we're looking to donate to climate causes or maybe we do a community fundraiser or like I said the school do a fundraiser or something like that knowing that there's this place where they can come to where there's somebody who's done the litmus test for all these charities and is um making sure that your money is going to be going for the most impactful solutions possible. I just think that's a really, it's really great for people to be able to do to know that that's there. Uh, absolutely, and I, I'd always, I'd echo exactly what you said, Jen, and, and and just say that what's great is whatever anyone can do, whether it's and, and beyond the sort of donations element, even everyday lifestyle actions. I know a lot of people outside the climate world like to poo-poo people who are doing stuff and say. <laughs> Well, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. The point is, it, anything you're doing that, that that you're able to do is is great and 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 really really worthwhile. So, um, yeah, I I I completely echo what you say, Jen. And if so, it, thinking about other ways that people might be able to um, contribute, do you work with organ? So lots of chari- lots of corporates might have sort of named charities and things like that. Do you hook up with them if they've got sort of a, a pot of charitable money available? Does that sort of thing work? So I'm just thinking if somebody's listening who works for a corporate, could they go and suggest you guys as a beneficiary for um, uh, for their charity or whatever? Absolutely. So, I mean, introductions for us are, are really, really highly appreciated and really useful. Um, what we're trying to do, I guess, beyond looking at the individual level is we're trying to 
help um, financial services and corporates to offer this either to clients or as an internal sort of, I guess, business structure um, so that they, they can help make a difference and be part of the solution to the climate crisis. So on the corporate level, we work with businesses to help them commit as a certain percentage or a certain amount or whatever they feel comfortable to this portfolio. And this, you know, originally when we started, it was kind of as an alternative or as a complement to offsetting, but it, it can just be as a, a one-off donation if, if if that's what works for you as well. Mm. So, I mean, if you, if you work somewhere and if you work in the CSR department, mm. responsibility department, then we'd love to speak to you. If you know someone who does, we'd love to speak to them. If you've got a financial planner who you think might be interested in in offering this as a, a kind of a solution to clients, get in touch. So how, how would that work? Say I've got a pot of money that I've inherited or I've won the lottery or something and I go to a financial planner and I say, you know, I want to make some responsible investments and I've spoken to them about, you know, um, what sorts of things I'm wanting to invest in and, and hoping to get a return back from. But also there's a conversation that they might be able to have with clients to say, well, look, there's also the option for, as you said, setting aside a quarter of 1% of your um, income or your wealth once a year and donating it to these charities. Is that something that some wealthier individuals can do and are doing? It is, absolutely. And and, and really going back to that point I was making at start about um, the behaviour element, we, we realise people are more likely to do this if it's presented in a in a sort of financial setting that they're mm. comfortable with. So we, we've got a, a couple of financial planners who are planning firms who are offering this to clients at the moment. I mean, that feels like next step, doesn't it? Because it feels like the financial services planners and things are just about getting their head around ethical investments. So the next step for them to be able to offer to their clients and things is is these sort of range of ethical donations as well, or climate-focused donations. Absolutely. I mean, it's a re- the, the whole idea of the spectrum of capital is really interesting because we've moved from just no one thinking about their money at all to actually the vast majority of people thinking about their money and the vast majority of those people thinking, oh, I want to do something with my money. And, and then I guess where we sit is kind of blurring that line between investment and philanthropy, because it is philanthropy, but also what we're saying to individuals, what we're saying to um, financial planning firms, businesses is actually your, you know, all of our wealth, all of the wealth in the world is dependent on the biosphere for its value. Mm. So it's not only, I guess, the right thing to do, but it's also a logical thing to do to, to help fund those organisations that are helping to protect that. And you're not, you know, we traditionally talk when we talk about investments in terms of that return on invest, that financial return on investment. But I guess these are, you're getting a return on investment in terms of lowered emissions and social impact and all those sorts of things. But it's just not that um, pound sign maybe that that we're used to. But do you, so if I came and I had some money and I gave it to you guys, would you send me, because I know some um pensions and investments things do this like once a year you get your financial report but you also get an impact statement as well in terms of the good stuff that your money is your investments have gone on to do as well as generate you some money but do you do that kind of thing in terms of I mean that would be awesome to just open your email and go oh my god like that donation I made has done x y and z is that something that you guys do absolutely and that's that's really really important to us is that when you do contribute it's not just a a, a sort of a one-off thing that you've done and then you never hear about it again. So what we do is we produce six monthly impact reports where we highlight and what we call the global returns. You were talking mm. about returns earlier, but we're talking about global returns because everyone benefits from them. And so what I mean by that is the, the stories from our portfolio partners o- over the period. So what's been going on with Ashton, Climate Earth, Global Canopy, all, all of those organizations. We'll give a, I guess, a, a summary of those um, all of the stats, all of the interesting information, but also some um, information from us about our, our performance metrics for the portfolio as a whole. So considering how, thinking about how we run the portfolio, the decisions we've made uh, and, and and all of the kind of nitty gritty stuff like that. So what, yeah, we're really, really keen for people to, to understand that this is a kind of ongoing thing that we we'll mm. provide information for. Uh, and we also produce newsletters on a, on a monthly basis um, where we'll give updates on what's been going on with us, but also what's been going on with the portfolio partners. Mm. So that's, 
yeah, as you say, that's a really, really important thing. We, so I would get that impact report whether I donated five uh, five pounds or five million pounds. You would send me that exactly, impact report. And, exactly. and you mentioned um, right towards the beginning about um, trying to put a, a, a figure in terms of for every pound spent, this is the amount of tonnes of carbon dioxide saved. Have you done that individually for each charity or do you have a, a whole round figure? So if, if I went on your Global Returns Project site and gave you a... £10, you'd be able to say that £10 has these six charities have worked together to make it save X amounts of carbon dioxide? Well, the, the answer is where, where possible, we try and do it for individual charities, but we recognise that there's there's a whole heap of mm. that go along with that. So we, we we wouldn't feel comfortable, I guess, saying um, this this charity yes. will have X pounds. What, what we will say is that we, we are pleased with the results of what we found and that, you know, when you compare it, say, to a, a, the price for a, an offset, it's it's not far away from that on average. Oh, okay. Um, and but whilst also recognising that, um, you know, there's there's no additional additionality, you know, pr- problems with the organisations in our portfolio, whereas there's a, a range of issues that are associated with offsets. So yeah, I think I mean I think I probably need to do a whole another episode on offsetting, but offsetting can be quite a shady business can't it and there's quite a lot of studies been done to show that actually the there isn't a huge amount of value potentially in terms of offsetting when it when it's actually all sort of um looked into and things like that but you guys what you're saying is that for the equivalent of off paying however much you pay to offset a ton of carbon that same donation to you guys will have done hopefully done that and then had all these kind of social impacts and we know that you're verifying it and vetting it and making sure that these guys are doing what they're saying they're doing yeah, absolutely. So we 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 kind of do the, the calculations as a as a sense check. Uh, aside from anything else, we realise there's going to be no way you can accurately estimate, mm. for example, client Earth. What you can do is is run a series of sort of assumptions that give you a good indication that it is an effective or not organisation. So so that's kind of that's our internal process. We 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 wouldn't sort of put those numbers out um, just because I think it would be unfair on. on yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really interesting exercise. And I guess what we're trying to do with the, and the other reason we wouldn't maybe um, put the numbers out as well is what, what we're trying to do with this portfolio is say, there's actually some really, really important work that's being done by these accelerating organisations, but it is hard to quantify. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be... Yes, yeah, 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 because we can't put a number on it doesn't mean, yeah. I guess the danger when you enter the world of quantifiables is that mm. you only you only fund the climate solutions that you can put a number on, and yes. and, and so we're, we're we're kind of trying to have have some which are quantifiable and some which aren't. Yeah, amazing. I guess the other question that people might be thinking of: Well, it, you know, if I give you ten quid, how much of that goes to the actual charities? Well, that's a, a good question. The answer is one hundred percent. We we are a UK registered registered charity. Um, but we we cover the transaction costs associated with each individual donation, um, and we we fund that through trustees, uh, foundations. We we fund that through our, our core costs essentially. Um, so 100% of any money you get give in goes out, and that's again important for our, this idea of friction. We 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 don't want to be sort of um, producing any friction with with our kind of donation process but that's the thing I talked about earlier wasn't it the, this idea that you know you sort of think oh well I, I might give them a tenner but actually the people on the ground who need it or whatever might only get five pounds of that or two pounds of that and and so actually knowing that all of that money is going where it's needed to is absolutely um is great isn't it yeah no absolutely and, and obviously there's there's gift aid associated as well so yes. that's a nice nice bonus as well amazing so um Hopefully we might have, you know, um, I, as we said, we're really aware that lots of people are finding things really, really difficult at the moment. But if you are thinking about doing a fundraiser or you've got a um, you know, a school who are doing a fundraising challenge or you work with a corporate or maybe you are fortunate enough to have some um, some income to be looking to do something good with. You mentioned the website earlier. Can you just remind us what that is? I can. It's uh, www.globalreturnsproject.earth. Or Brilliant. you can just type in global returns project on um on on Google or any other social media yeah. to be able to find us. 
And you're on all the socials and things as well, are you? We are on all the socials. I, I, although <laughs> this is your hardest bit now. Can you remember what you are on the socials? Okay, we're not on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> we are on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Yeah, brilliant. So if we search Global Returns Project on those platforms, we um we should find you. And on the website, we can find there to sign up for the newsletter and all those sorts of things, and find out more about each of those projects as well. Absolutely. And uh, alternatively, if, you, if you'd like to hear more directly, then feel free to give me a, a, an email. My email is ollie at globalreturnsproject.earth. Amazing. Brilliant. I'll pop all those links and I'll, I'll link to each of the organisations as well in the, um, in the show notes so people can go off and do their um, own exploring. But thank you for that. I, I, as I said, I, people have asked me before about what climate charity should, should I donate to? And I'm like, I don't know. And I certainly wouldn't have come up with, you know, probably maybe any of the ones that, that you've talked about and that you've suggested. And it's, so it's really great that there's cleverer, far cleverer people than me doing the work and, uh, you know, looking around for all these um, amazing organisations and how we can fund them. So yeah, massive thank you to you. And thank you for your time, Ollie. Not at all. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. ish you wonderful sack of loveliness with me jen gale hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old gray matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably do let me know what that is i love to hear about the changes that people are making big or small every single one counts if you've enjoyed the show and i hope you have do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.